0: Welcome to the City Point Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. Well, you might not have known this, but today is actually the launch of National Foster Care Week. So for the next week in our nation... They will be highlighting all things in regards to children who live out of their homes that they began in. And so it's a really monumental week in the life of our nation. Uh, I had the privilege last week to be involved in a podcast that is going out nationwide this m- on Monday, tomorrow, about uh, how amazing is this that the nation allows us to speak about these things, but how to do ministry and care how to do both things, and what they're really wanting to highlight in our nation is that you can do what you're doing and look after others at the same time. You can do what you're doing and love others at the same time. But, you know, as I was um, thinking about preparing for this particular podcast, I was uh, pondering one of the questions I'd been asked in the podcast, which was a funny question. It was supposed to be for humour, I think. But the question was, is what's one of the things that you hate hearing as a foster carer or as a foster parent? Or what's one of the things that, you know, everybody says that you're like, Ugh, if I hear that one more time. And I was thinking about this and I've not really had something specific that has been like, ah, but there has been a particular line that almost in every conversation that I have or that Gray has around this particular area of our personal journey, and for so many, there is a particular line that most people use when they talk about whether they could get involved in this area or not. And it's this key line that says, I would love to do that, but I don't think I could because I'd get to, oh, you know it. I don't think I could because I'd get to attached. And as I pondered this particular thing, which I did say in the podcast, I thought about that word attached. It's a word that not many of us have really stopped to think, you know, in response to this particular thing in our world, I'm going to use the word attached. We've just done it. We've just made this word the acceptable word to say, I can see the need, I definitely should get involved in the need, but I don't want to get too attached. Why have we used this word? As I started to really think and ponder and question myself for for many years while we were waiting for this journey to uh, begin, it was a thing that we wrestled with on this attachment. Why we moved past this was because I realized that that particular word is a watered-down word for what God says we are to do, and that is to love. Attachment, ultimately, is love. So, to start my message this morning, why would we not get involved in this? Because we're not willing to get to loving. We're not willing to love deeper. What a crazy thought. We're not willing to extend love to that level because we'll have to let it go, maybe, because it might grow really, really healthy within our arms and need to be released like we do as parents with our beautiful children who grow within our homes. One day we will have to release them to be parents. As I was thinking, and con- uh, thinking over this, it caused me to go back to what God's word said about this particular thing. And so my message this morning is not about foster care at all. It's simply about what God says about all of humanity in the form of our new theme, the ripple effect, love. This morning we're uh, launching actually a brand new theme, if you didn't know, called the ripple effect. We're talking about love and how it has an impact beyond the moment in which it's found. This is what love does. Love has such an impact that the ripple effect doesn't just affect the moment it's extended, but generations to come. And so this morning I've titled my message, Love Your Neighbor. Now, if you've heard that line before, it's because when I went to the Word of God, I've I, I can find a specific area or a specific instruction that God has given us in which we are to love. And the craziest thing is, like the foster care journey, we have watered down versions or watered down words. For how we love different people of different circumstances, or different circles, or different relationships shared within our world, and yet there is a specific commandment in the Bible that God has given us that tells us exactly how we're to do this. So I'm going to jump straight into this message this morning. I love this. I love this thought because in. Uh, I'm going to skip a whole bunch of my notes this morning as we were in praise and worship. This happens sometimes. I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, "And take that part out." So I'm jumping forward to a particular part that I want to go to. But as I start the message this morning, I want to first let you know so that just to clarify, who your neighbor is. Love your neighbor is the command that God has given us in the Bible, and. It's actually the second greatest commandment given to us. But what I want to establish with each and every one of us first is who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is everybody that your life bumps into. Everybody. Not just the people living within your home. Not just the people who have the address in like two houses up or two houses down. They are everybody that your life bumps into. If you think about yesterday alone, who did your life bump into? Did you bump into a supermarket checkout person? Did you bump into a car park attendant? Did you bump into somebody who was walking past your house while you were mowing your lawn? What who have you bumped into in the last week? Who has your what who has your life come into uh, contact with? Who are you sitting beside at work? Who are you speaking to in the playground? Who, ha- who is in your world? Who has bumped into your life in this last week? That is who your neighbor is. In the Bible, it's not the passage I'm going to actually uh, preach from today, but in the Bible, one of the most wonderful analogies of this is a story called The Good Samaritan. And The Good Samaritan is a story about a guy who is uh, beat up on the road while he's traveling. All all his money is taken, he is uh, stripped of even his possessions that were on him, including his clothing. He didn't look very appealing to approach anymore. And the story goes that multiple people walked along his path. They took the same road he did and encountered him and each had different responses. Based on their religion, based on their status, some chose to simply look away and continue to walk. But this is the analogy we were given on how we were to love one another, is that a particular person, a Samaritan man, a man of every reason not culturally, status-wise, Uh, Religion wise, he had every reason not to stop. He is the example we're given by God of how to love because despite every circumstance or excuse not to stop to help this man, he chooses to do it. And he doesn't just do it, he serves him fully. He helps him, he gets him to safety, he pays for all his medical needs. This is the example we were given on how we were to love. And in a particular passage, when religious leaders were looking for a loophole, this is this particular story that Jesus gave on how we were to love. They were were looking for a loophole on who is your neighbor and how you are to love them. In Matthew 22 34 to 40, Jesus says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, The Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law and tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. He didn't pause. He went straight into it. And adds this particular sentence to what he's saying. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of them. If you read through the following eight commandments, they all flow from these two commandments. And yet... It's so obviously God's heart that we are to love our neighbour, that the remaining eight are all about how we love our neighbours well, every single one, how we love them well. And so this morning I want to dive into a message in an unusual passage, a very unusual passage to unpack how it is we are to love our neighbour. So I'm going to ask if you uh, take notes or if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask if you would turn to Esther 4. We're going to look at Esther's story this morning and unpack this morning how we are to love our neighbor. You might think that this is a strange place to go and should we not stay and talk about the Good Samaritan and look at this passage just a little bit longer and spend a bit more time around this verse and... It is a great place to start, and if time allows, we'll head back there. But loving your neighbor, I have found, is beautifully unpacked in the familiar story of Esther, because I've seen and I believe that I can really help us step into and to move up in this area of loving our neighbor today in our world through this particular passage. And so this morning, as we jump into four key things that can be found in Esther around how We are to respond how we are to move up in loving our neighbour. I'm going to ask this morning that today you're listening for you. But you're not just listening for you, you're listening for your neighbour. You know, it's great when we get to come to church and someone gives us a word or we receive a revelation through God's word that will help us, help us in our family, help us in our business or in our life. It's great. And we are all for that in the house of God. But we've got to remember as well that when we come together on Sundays, we are not just coming for us, we're coming for them. We are coming for those that we're going to sit beside at work tomorrow. We're coming for the mum in the school playground that you will see as she drops her children off tomorrow. We're coming for the children who are going to be under our care tomorrow. We're coming for the kids in the school playground that you are going to come alongside tomorrow. We're coming and listening on their behalf too. And so that's why I take you to Esther's story today. Esther's background, if you've never heard Esther's story, and I understand not everybody will have heard about Esther. She's a book of the Bible that is uh, able to be found, and you can read her story in fullness. It's amazing. But I'm going to paraphrase this morning and unpack her background. Uh, Esther began her journey as an orphan. She lost her parents really, really young. Esther had no one. She didn't have a mum. She didn't have a dad. She was this young girl with no natural family to take care of her. So on the streets, everyone in her world looked after her. Her uncle Mordecai took upon himself, like kinship care, her care, and those around her life where she lived became her family. The neighborhood raised Esther. Her people raised her. When you read the chapter, you hear about how the neighbors speak about Esther's world. This neighborhood knew this girl and they helped raise her. There were times, I'm sure, that Mordecai had absolutely no idea what to say to a young, growing teenage girl. But I'm sure there would have been an incredible young adult leader, an amazing mum in her community, who put her hands on her world, who spoke wisdom, who passed down things from one generation to the next that she needed to know because she was raised in community, that she would have the right things to say in that moment. There would have been a home she would have dropped into. There would have been other children that she would have been playing with. She lived and was brought up by and invested into by the neighbourhood where she lived. Her people helped her get a firm foundation for her life, not just as a woman, but in Christ. And then we know that Esther's story begins to change because she's plucked out of her neighborhood all of a sudden and was placed into the king's harem, taken from her streets and put into a palace. Because the previous queen had not done a great job and had displeased the king, He got rid of her, and now he was looking for a new queen. And so he got all of the most beautiful, eligible girls in the region and put them into the king's harem for a particular season to prepare them for maybe, just maybe, being the future queen. As she moved from one environment into another, several interesting things would happen, and I want us to look at these as these two worlds reconnect again where she now becomes aware of something that is happening on the streets where she has left. We're going to read from Esther 4, verse 1 this morning. And while we do, uh, we're going to look at four key areas that we need to move up in, in order for us to move out into our neighborhoods effectively. To quickly bring you up to speed, there's a plot against her people, against Esther's people the Jewish people. Esther is out in these streets, out of these streets. She's now in the palace. In fact, it tells us in the passage at this time that she is having 12 months of beauty treatments and all the girls of the house said, amen. Amen. Not a bad lifestyle. She's over in the palace getting pampered and looked after. But meanwhile, in her old neighborhood, there is severe trouble, trouble with her people, trouble with her neighbors, trouble with her community. And so Mordecai, her uncle, tries to get her attention to tell you, we need you, Esther. We need you to be involved in your old neighborhood. God needs to use you. You need to help us with what's going on. And so we kick off here in Esther 3, verse 13 to 14. It says, bulletins were sent out by couriers To all the king's provinces with orders to massacre, kill and eliminate all the Jews, youngsters and old men and women and babies on a single day, the 13th day of the twelfth month, the month Adar, and to plunder all of their possessions. Copies of the bulletin were posted in every province publicly available to all peoples to get them ready for their death. That's what's going on in Esther's neighborhood. Now, here's the craziest thing. It sounds extreme, but that's the enemy's plan for our community right here. The enemy's plan for our community is to steal and to kill and to destroy. The same plan is still being outworked by the enemy today in our neighborhood. And I wonder if, like Esther today, we would hear Mordecai's cry and say, Joan, Beck, Sarah, John, Andrew, this morning, would you hear the cry of your neighborhood? Would you hear the outcry of the neighborhood? Could you see what's going on in the neighborhood? Because it needs your response. These were the same people that she'd grown up with, the ones she'd hung out with, the ones that she'd sat at their dining tables. She'd been in their world. She'd been raised in that world. These were her people. It didn't matter where she was now positioned. This was her neighborhood. Esther 4 verse 4 is where we're going to kick it off. And it says, when Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Something jumped off the pages when I read this. So Esther has just found out that Mordecai, because of what has happened, is at the palace gates dressed in sackcloth because he is mourning for the neighborhood what is happening. He's in distress, And what Esther does is she sends clothes. Now, this passage should speak right to the heart of me. I would quite possibly, being Mordecai, love to be sent clothes. But this is not what, this here is actually showing us exactly how we each and every one of us, no, no matter what our circumstances, no matter how long we've been uh, walking with Jesus, no matter what's been instilled and invested in our life by our church community, it's so evident that in a time of great distress, we can be so naive that we send clothes. Mordecai is crying at the gates, and she sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. I just want to stop and think about that for a moment. Here's a girl who was raised on the streets. These were her people. And now all of a sudden, there's a problem in the neighborhood. And her uncle says, Esther, there's a problem. We need your help. But here's what happened. Esther sends clothes to try and solve a problem that clothes will never remedy. She says to her uncle, put some better clothes on. And maybe that will help. But her uncle refuses to put them on. You know what, why I'm pausing here is we need to be careful as a church that we don't come so far out of our neighbourhoods and into God's house, into our holy bubbles, for lack of a better word, that when our community cries out for an answer, that we don't respond. We don't just respond with some clothes or a food hamper. We respond by sending them something that we don't respond by sending them something that we think would make them look more suitable. That would make us feel less uncomfortable to be around them. Because they will turn around and they won't accept it. Why? Because it's not what they need. It's not what they're crying out for. It's not, what, it's not the answer to what they are crying out for. But because we've become so removed from the world we were once part of, we've become so removed from the issues that we used to know. We're now sending answers to a hurtful world that are not really help at all and that don't touch the problem. Our ignorance to our neighborhood will be our irrelevance as a church. I'm going to say that again. Our ignorance to our neighborhood. And its need and its cry will be our irrelevance as a church. Esther was ignorant to what was going on. She was ignorant to the distress, ignorant to the cry of the people that she knew. She'd become ignorant because of her removal. We want to be a church that when you come in, you are still very much aware of what's happening outside of these walls, that when you come in, you realize it's all about where you are going back out to. And that when you come in, you pick up something and you learn something and you get revelation about how to go back out and be an answer in our community. It's not that you come in and away from our neighborhood that bothers you or hassles you or makes you feel uncomfortable because maybe the need seems too great, too overwhelming. Where do we start? It's that we would come in and be equipped for what it is we need to be able to go out and effectively love and see influence and change in our community. You know, it's not uncommon that we like to just send stuff as a part of the answer. Let's get really honest for a moment if that's okay. We send food hampers and meals to people that are going to hell. And I'm all for food hampers. We are literally about to launch our giving tree hamper for Christmas. But what is a hamper? A hamper is an invitation. A hamper is an opportunity for a door to be opened to you. But a hamper is nothing without a person on the other end who knows that they are saved by the grace of God, who knows that there is an answer found within them because they carry the Spirit of God. And they are bold enough to say, I have more than a food hamper for you. I know an answer that is going to be more fulfilling, that is going to heal, that is going to restore, that is going to walk beside you as you journey this beautiful redemptive story that you has been carved out just for you. The hamper is literally just almost like a key to a door to be opened. But I wonder how many times in a cry for distress, we've responded to our neighborhood with simply giving them stuff. Esther had become removed from her people. And Mordecai says, I'm sorry, but I'm not putting your fancy clothes on. I'm not dressing how you want me to dress so it makes you feel comfortable. I won't put them on so it makes the palace gates area look appropriate. I need you to understand that there is a greater problem here. There is an outcry from your neighborhood. And so I'm going to remain in what I'm wearing and I'm going to ask something specific of you, Esther. I believe that if we're going to move up in our loving of our neighbors, well, the first thing we've got to move up in is our awareness. It's point number one this morning, our awareness. So let's have a little, little look at how we rate. It's just a practical thing we can do this morning. Something you can do privately in your heads right now. But maybe you're going to get a 10 out of 10 this morning. And if you are, you need to be up here and you need to be telling us how. But maybe you're going to rate 2 out of 10. And there's something here to catch this morning. How many of you this morning can say, I know my neighbor's names? How many of you can say right now, who of your neighbours are ill? How many of you could say in, about your neighbours who is about to have a baby? Who right now is just separated or divorced in your street? Who can say right now what families have a child about to graduate that we could celebrate with in our street? What are the names and ages of the children in my street? This is knowing. Knowing and loving, and caring for your neighbors. You might be thinking right now, you are crazy Mel. My neighborhood has 17 houses in the street or 96 houses in the street. How could I possibly know? Start with three, start with three. How can we be the answer if we're not aware of the problem? How can we be God's hand to people if we don't really know what the need is that God wants to highlight in our life, to us so that we can be hands and feet and the answer for it? Esther had to get an awareness. So, it was the next, so it's in this next line in this passage when Mordecai rejects the clothing, this is what she does. It says in Esther 4 verse 5, Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her. And she ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. To find out. She ordered him to find out and why. She said, go find out. Find out why he is in the state he's in. Why is he standing at the gates dressed like this? She went to get some awareness. I believe that we have to move up in our awareness for the sake of our neighbors. I wonder who lives next door to you who needs an answer that you carry. I wonder what their issues are and how you could pray for them. I wonder if we knew more, if we could do more. I wonder if you'd ask more, if you would learn more. So Esther said, find out. Find out what is troubling him. I'm asking us practically to ask some questions of ourselves this morning because if we're going to make a difference in loving our neighbors and loving this neighborhood, loving this neighborhood so that they actually see Jesus in us, that we need to know how to love them and how to help them. We need to be aware of what it is that they're crying out for. Which brings me to my second point. We not only need to move up in our awareness, but we need to move up in our willingness to then act. We need to be willing to step outside the barriers that we put up around ourselves. Most of the time, it can be really confronting and awkward to make the first move. But you've just got to be willing to make the first move, to cross the street, to knock on the door. You don't even have to go with something in your hand. Often that really works. I love to go with something in my hand, and you say, I'm one of the neighbours, and I'm saying hello, can you watch out for my children when they're on their bikes, <laughs> looking after one another. But you don't have to. You can literally just go over and say, hey, I just come over to meet you because I'm your neighbour. <laughs> it's not that awkward. It's not that weird. Esther is told about the plight of her people by Mordecai. He sends a full, back, full report back. And in verse 9, it says this from 9 to 11. Hathic went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law. They will be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them And spares their lives, but 30 days have passed since I've even been called to see the king. Her first response, now here's a real challenge. For those of you who know the story of Esther, we often use this as a really encouraging word. Where we go, you were called for such a time as this. But before Esther gets to this, the very first thing she does is she responds to her awareness with excuses. She actually responds back to Mordecai with all of the reasons why. And not one, not, you don't understand, if I go before the king, I will be put to death. And I've not even been called. Maybe he doesn't even like me. He's not called on his queen for a month. There's a relationship issue going on here. And so she doesn't just put the most obvious. She even puts ones that are personal to her. He's not even called for me for the last month. The first thing that Esther does is responds with excuses. Well, I can't do that. I can't approach the king. This is not something I normally do. This is not something I would normally be known for, crossing the street or Going and saying hello to the person walking past with their dog. I don't normally talk to the checkout chick. I just want to get my groceries done. We can't be known for answering our awareness with our excuses. You know, when you become aware of your neighbor's neighbor's needs, you're going to have the opportunity to bump into all of your excuses. Well, they're from a different culture They're from a different religion. How could I even? What if it comes up that I actually am a Christian? They don't believe in Jesus. They're atheists. So it could actually just be an invitation for argument. Or they're nervous around me because they know I'm a Christian. Or I couldn't possibly because they know I'm a Christian, but they're looking at my life. All of the excuses. All right? I didn't just say go over and preach Jesus just then. I just said to go over and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. It is the love that you show that will point them to Jesus. There's a difference when we go and we love over going to point them or to preach to them about Jesus. You have to be willing to make the approach. But what Esther was saying is unless the king calls for me, I can't go to the king. Unless my neighbor asks for me, I can't possibly go to my neighbor's house. Unless I'm summoned, I don't think they really want my services. We have to be more willing to be uncomfortable, to be rejected, to possibly even have the door shut in our face, because if you stay behind your closed doors, waiting for them to knock on your door, you're going to have a really, really, really long wait. We just need to be willing to find a way to love our neighbours, to cross the street, to cross the room, whatever it is. My third, point, my third point today, to move up in our awareness and to move up in our willingness, we need to move up in our responsibility. Church, it's now time for us to take responsibility in loving our neighbourhood, loving our community. If we would like our community to come to know Jesus, It will not be the signs that we put on the outside of our building. It will not be the grandeur that this building will finish with when it's done. It will be individuals loving, putting their hands on different ones in our community. And they will walk in one at a time. For those of you who are craving a move of the Holy Spirit that is often called revival, that's it. That's what you're looking for. Do you know in the Bible, Gray and I have only been discussing this, there's no such thing as revival. It's not there. The story in which we look at that we go, whoa. They were not expecting tons of fire to come on their head. They were not expecting for the Holy Spirit to infill them. They were faithfully gathered praying for that purpose. And daily, the church was added. But it says then they shared meals from house to house. That's neighbors at work with each other, sharing what God had done. Sharing, loving, inviting in. This is what neighborhood is. And that is what we often look back and go, that's what revival is. And every single time in history that there there has been an outworking of the Holy Spirit that has spread and that we've read books about and that we crave to know, it began with a couple of young people who had a passion for others to know who God was and they prayed every time, every single time. They never knew it was going to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Every single time you meet a neighbour and they walk through this door or they sit in your living room and they meet Jesus they take a you face it. Revival is happening in the hearts of people. God is in the revival business. It's called reviving lives. He's reviving spirits. He's reviving hearts. He's restoring both broken places. And this happens for us as a church when we step out of these front doors and we say, I'm going to put my hands on. I'm going to walk beside. It doesn't matter how messy. It doesn't matter how long the journey is going to be. It doesn't matter if there's two steps forward, two steps back, one step forward. Oh, it's such a dance. This is exactly what God is asking us to do. It's to come alongside and see people's lives revived. It's for us to come alongside people's lives and say, dry bones come alive. Gray and I would celebrate every week more than anything else in the life of our church. Now, we love our praise and worship. We love it. We know we have an open heaven here. We love our children's program. We love our cafe community. But the thing we go home and talk about is the person who puts their hand up and says, I choose Jesus. From now on, I'm going to walk with Jesus. But do you know that we're not often left Talking about that, the next conversation that we'll spend ages on is about the person bold enough to bring them. Wow. Thank the Lord for such and such who went, you know what? I'm going to cross the room or I'm going to come alongside so that they have a chance to meet Jesus. That's revival. That's revival. It's unbelievable. We've got to take responsibility in Esther 4:12 verse 13. Once Esther's excuses have been uh, put out for Mordecai, this is what happens next in verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Now we often use this as a prophetic word over girls, but this was in response to her excuses, okay? Mordecai says, "Do you not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone?" Uh, Because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Wow, what a rebuke. Esther was in a royal position, but she'd not taken her royal commission yet. She was the queen. She was not a servant. She was not a chambermaid. She was the queen. She had a queen's responsibility, a queen's authority, a queen's power extended to her. She had queen's favor she had a position to do something. Each and every one of you do too. You've been placed in specific places, specific positions. God has put you in particular relationships because you're the, you're the person, you're the position, you're the authority needed to save something, to speak up for something, to love somebody that nobody else could. And we need to remember today that we are not the tail, we are the head in our neighbourhood. You are the head in your neighbourhood, that you are not somebody just living in your street. You are positioned there for such a time as this. You are called by God to your postcode for such a time as this. You are called by the Most High God to be his representation in, in your street, to be love to your neighbour in your street. Pastor Gray and I do not live in your street. So it's your responsibility. It's our responsibility to own it. You too can love your neighbors. You can leave a good taste in their mouth of what heaven looks like. You can take the authority that God has given you to show your neighbors that you love them. Esther needed a wake-up call saying, hey, you might not be in the street anymore But you are in the palace, and the streets need you to do something with the position that you've been given. You've been called by God out of the world and then sent back into the world, but with a responsibility on your shoulders to do something. Not one of us has an excuse. God has called each and every one of us to do this. It's called the Great Commission. It's a command, and we're to do it as we love our neighbors. Finally, as the musicians come this morning, my fourth point. This is the last part, and I think this is really cool. After we've moved up in our awareness and our willingness we, and we've taken responsibility, we need to move up in our strategy. Love is intentional. So Esther had done each of these things, so she sends this reply to Mordecai in verse 15. She says, then Esther sent." This replied to Mordecai, "Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendees will do will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What begins to unfold is a complete." God, strategy to save Esther's people. Esther realizes, I'm now aware. Esther being willing says, I will take responsibility for my neighborhood. But what Esther didn't do is rush in and beg the king, save my people. She didn't rush in and squander the moment. She didn't rush in panicking and freaking out. What do we do? There are young people in our community who are living underneath the bridge tonight. What do we do? There are children in our community right now who don't have a home to stay in. So they're living in homes with carers who are on shift. Two of them in our community are four and six, brother and sister, who for the last couple of months, because they there aren't people willing to get attached, to love their neighbour, that they're living in a house with people on shift. And you know what the craziest thing is? I found this out this week, that for so many of our beautiful people who put their hands up to care like that because there's such a need, there is such a need. There's rules around how they can. And so tonight in our community, that four and six-year-old will not be being hugged by anyone because they're not allowed to physically touch them. And yet here we are and God has asked us to love one another. Love one another. I had an appointment at the hospital about three weeks ago and found out that no child who had come through the hospital child protection unit who needed care who needed love from people in our community, no child had gone to care in four and a half months because there's no one available. No one. And yet God's asking each and every one of us in all our different ways, in all the different spheres, you may not have been called to be a family for someone who needs family. But you've been called to love in a particular way that because of where you've been positioned, God is asking, please stop with the excuses. Would you be willing and take responsibility for the cry that's coming out in our neighbourhood today? Would you catch this revelation that God wants us two commandments and that all of the law comes out of these is to love our God with all our hearts all our souls and all our minds, and to love one another, to love one another like this. Esther didn't rush in. She asked for God's strategy. She was not overwhelmed. I love Pastor Lee's statement that she says about She Rescue because it's a huge, huge thing. You could look at the problem of child sex slavery and go, that's too overwhelming. I don't even want to hear it. But she says to succumb to the enormity of the many is to fail the one. God has positioned each and every one of us in spaces, in places, in workplaces, in schools, whatever it is. He's positioned you in a place so that you can love so that, you, so that people would encounter Jesus' love, but they'd also be taken in and grafted in. Just like Esther's people, many, many need a saving love. Somebody that would rescue them out. Tonight there are men and women in our community who are contemplating whether life is worth living anymore. And it might just take you crossing a room to tell them that it is. It's worth living that God loves them, that He has a special call on their life, that they are here just like you for such a time as this, that there are people there to put their hands on and say, I know that there has been dark places in your world, but there is freedom and there is hope in Jesus Christ. She got a plan, got a strategy, took her time, and then she stepped out. And fulfilled this. And so when she walked towards the King to fulfill what it was she was going to do on behalf of the people, she walked in peace and authority. She walked knowing that she was being led by the Holy Spirit and that He would carry, He would do His part. She just needed to do her part. And you know, for many of you today, you might still look at some of the spheres you've been put in that God is asking or prompting in your spirit To get in, you might go, but it's just too big for my world. Gray and I did the same. We do have a lot on our shoulders, but we've had to trust that the Holy Spirit would equip us, make it possible, and we walk each day with what each day brings. It's totally possible if you're willing to step out with the authority you've been given, that God has given you, with the gifts you've been given, in the spheres you've been placed. She'd always had this authority. She'd always been equipped because it had been given to her by her previous neighbourhood. But now she moved up and she took responsibility because she understood that anytime time God moves you up, it's not for the sake of you, it's for the sake of someone else. Church, if God is going to move us up, it's not for us, it's for the sake of someone else. If he's going, to, he's going to lift up the volume, He's going to turn up the amplification of what we are doing here at City Point North, it's going to be for the sake of someone else. It's not going to be so we look great in our community. If He's going to put His hands on us as a church and go, influential, doing something, it's going to be because we're putting our hands on somebody else. It's for the people that we're going to reach. It's for our neighbours. And so my challenge to you today is what is your strategy? Have you asked God for a strategy for what he has shown you? For whom your life is bumping into? What's your strategy to love your neighbour? You know, God has a strategy for their life too. Just like he had one for yours. His word says that his plans were marked out for you. He has plans marked out for them too. So my challenge this week. This week, can I challenge each of us to become aware of what the need of our neighbours are? Would we step up in our willingness to act on it? Would we take responsibility for it and ask God for a strategy on how we can get involved in it? Today, before we head home back into our neighbourhoods, I would love to just ask or allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to speak to each and every one of us on how we can move up in loving our neighbours. So as you close your eyes right now, maybe up until today, this has been an impossible concept for you to get your head around. Maybe you are stirred to move up and be aware, willing, stirred up to take responsibility and to move with a God's strategy For some people that even right now the Holy Spirit is showing you in your mind or impressing on your heart, I would love to pray for everyone here feeling that prompting by the Holy Spirit. But before I do, I would hate to just pray and move right along without giving a moment to ask the most important question of everyone here in this room. And that is, do you know Jesus as your Lord? Today I've shared all about the second greatest commandment, but you may be here and not know the first. Maybe you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. This commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And maybe you've not known that God loved you before you even knew Him, before you even exist and were here on the planet. He loved you with an unconditional love. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what shame you carry, the guilt of decisions you've made. He knew. He knew so much that he sent his son Jesus so that you could be saved from a life of sin. So that you could live without shame or guilt. Maybe you have made this decision at one time and you know this but you've separated yourself from Him. You're not walking close with God anymore. You've walked away from His love. I want to give the invitation today for both of those people. If you've never, ever known God's love and accepted Him as your Lord and Saviour, I want to give you that invitation today to choose Him. And if you have known that and you've walked away, I'd love to give you the invitation to step back towards His love and say, I'm going to walk with you for the rest of my days starting today. If that's you, I'm going to ask right now, while nobody's looking around, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking around. I'm just going to see it and I'm going to come and I'm going to pray with you after the service. Is there anybody here who says, that's me? I need, thank you, I see that hand. That's an incredible decision. Is there anybody else? I see that hand. That's an amazing decision. Just as I look across one more time, is there anybody else that says, I need, I need to walk beside God's love? His love is so perfect. I see that hand. That's, Do you know, I've seen three beautiful hands, and I know there will be hearts that have opened up and, I'm sorry if I missed your hand this morning, but the decision you've just made is one of the best decisions you will ever make. You do not need to be perfect to know God. He is perfect and He desires to know you and love you. And this decision that you've made this morning is Him beginning a work in you to set you free of sin, of shame, of guilt. It's a perfect work He's gonna do from now until you go home to eternity to be with him, he's going to continue to do that. For everybody else in this room, I'm going to pray over you right now that we catch this spirit of the message that has gone out today, that we would learn to take responsibility and willingness, be aware, and get a strategy for how we love our neighbours. Father, right now, I just pray for every single person here who says, yes, that's me. God, would you do something in my heart and my spirit, give me eyes to see my neighbours that maybe I've not seen anymore. Maybe I've been purposefully ignoring them. Whatever it is, God, would you give me eyes to see your people, people that you have created and you love. They are wonderful. They are beautiful. And you have called me, placed me in a position to answer the cry of their heart. God, I pray right now that you would give them an awareness that you would cause a willingness to, uh, to, to bubble up in their bellies, that they cannot contain it, that they have to cross the room? Would you give them, Lord God, such a strategy as they take responsibility for what they're going to do, to put their hands on, to exhibit love? God, help us to love more like you. Your love is perfect. Your love is pure. It is kind. It is unconditional. Would you once again refresh us and remind us of your perfect love and how it is you want us to do that for others? We take that on this morning as a mantle and say we will be willing to do your work. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. For those of you who made a decision this morning, that was the most incredible decision. Why don't we put our hands together for those who did